0: Well recently on TV there was a documentary uh, following the training process of the um, marine commandos. I don't know whether you saw that. I have to say the language was a bit choice, a bit coarse. Uh, But I I found it quite fascinating. Uh, And if you ever watched an advert about sort of uh, signing up for uh, the the marines, you'll you'll know you'll have a very exciting video that will tell you things about Uh, It's the way to sign up to challenge, adventure, excitement. You get to fly around in helicopters and really fast boats, and they'll tell you things like you can develop your potential to the full. And, you know, is that true? Well, yeah, I'm sure it is true. You're going to make friends for life. Yeah, that's true. I'm sure you you would. But it's not the whole story, is it? And when you sign up to try and go for that green beret, they are very committed to giving you proper training, helping you to understand the whole thing. They've, they've only told you part of it in the adverts, and they're pretty committed in the training process to prepare you for the whole thing. Um, and it's very mentally demanding, physically demanding, and uh, they're very clear in the process that they're training you basically to use lethal force and to put your life on the line, where your, where, your, where your body could be maimed, where you could be killed in service of queen and country. Now what was fascinating to me uh, as I watched the documentary of these trainees going in is that some of the recruits clearly signed up because they'd watched the advert and were very excited about kind of having friends for life, uh, you know, developing their full potential, whizzing around in helicopters. And, and seriously, some of them hadn't really considered the other bit. I have to kill people, potentially. Uh, I could be maimed. I could be killed. And it it was quite interesting through the course. Some people suddenly sobered up and realized this was what was involved. And so consequently, some people uh, stopped. When you're heading out on a mission, it's really important, isn't it, to understand what the mission is going to be like. It's important to have realistic expectations, and so I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 10, um, page 975 in the Church Bibles, page 975. And over the last few weeks, we've been considering this mission that Jesus sent his disciples uh, out to accomplish. Uh, as uh, Liam's already alluded to, uh, it was when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, and so the first thing he does is he he calls his disciples to pray for the crowds. The compassion of Christ calls them to pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out more workers into his harvest field as we've prayed today. But then we saw uh, this next stage last week was uh, the compassion of Christ not only called them to pray, but to go. And that's what we saw in the first um, 15 verses of Matthew chapter 10. But even as Jesus sends them out on this sort of short-term training mission, it's clear as we read on today that he had his eyes on a, on a bigger horizon, a, a one that was going beyond them uh, to, a, to a larger mission that would follow this short-term mission. And so what we have here is instructions, I think, that from about verse 16 onwards relate uh, to the apostles as they're going to receive this commission at the end of Matthew 28 to go out into all the nations and make disciples. And consequently, through the apostles, these are instructions that come down to the Christian church today what should they expect as they head out on this mission with jesus Uh, what should we expect as we obey the great commission in the world today well let's read from verse 16 matthew chapter 10 i'm sending you out like sheep among wolves Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and the father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. This is God's word. Well, keep your Bibles open, would you? What are we to expect? What's it supposed to be like? Is it going to be just like the, uh, the video that encourages you to sign up? Well... Yes, you might well travel the world and meet lovely people and make friends for life. That may well be the case. But actually, Jesus is properly training us to have a realistic expectation of what it's going to be like on the Great Commission. Verse 16 is quite sobering, isn't it? I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Wow. That's quite a shocking thing, isn't it? He doesn't say, look, I'm sending you out like wolves to go after the flock and gather them in. No, I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. Uh, I don't know what picture comes into your mind when you think about Jesus being the good shepherd. When I passed the church in America, uh, there was an amazing thing when a church basically said, we'll give you our building if you let us be part of the congregation. We thought it was a great deal. And so uh, we let them join the church and they gave us their building. But as we went into this building, there were lots of pictures of religious art. They loved to have depicting Jesus in different ways. And there were so, lots of pictures of Jesus you know, with a sheep around his shoulders carrying it home and, and the lovely scene of green pastures and you know, happy little sheep waving their tails coming behind him. And that's kind of what people think about Jesus being the good shepherd. But I don't see many pictures of this verse. Do you? I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Uh, Wolves have been reintroduced in different parts of America, and let me tell you, the farmers aren't happy about it. Why is that? Well, one wolf in a field of sheep can cause absolute carnage. Wolves are meat eaters, and look at those teeth. They've got powerful bodies, very sharp teeth, And what have sheep got? Well, they're fluffy lumps of meat on cocktail sticks. Uh, No one ever worries about going through a field of sheep, do they? Defenseless. And Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out among wolves, plural. So the expectation of Jesus as he sends them out is he's sending them out into threat, into danger. People are spiritually lost and needy. They're like sheep without a shepherd, as Jesus saw. He had compassion on them. But you know, they're like that. They're harassed and helpless because they've rebelliously rejected their Creator God. Uh, it's, it's lost and needy, but the, but the world is like that because they're, they don't want God to tell them how to live their lives. And so to hear about a Jesus who's not only our savior, but has actually come to be our king, who has the right to tell us how to live our lives, uh, how to live our priorities, how to organize ourselves. that Jesus says he's the king, well, that is not actually going to be universally welcomed. In fact, more commonly, it's going to be opposed. And sometimes Jesus says, viciously opposed. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. But because Jesus is the good shepherd who cares for his sheep, he wants to prepare his disciples uh, for this eventuality. They need to go out there with their eyes open to the dangers before them. So I want to consider five things, five points this morning of instruction from Jesus to help us as we face hostility as we engage in the Great Commission. Firstly, be shrewd and innocent. Verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Everyone gets excited when they see a snake, don't they? Uh, Particularly if you're in a country where you know there are poisonous snakes. And if you see a poisonous snake, the first thing you do is you reach for a very long stick and try and whack it till it's dead. That's what you do. And consequently, snakes have learnt that uh, when they're coming up and confronted by predators, they uh, quickly see the danger and they slither away. That's what they do. Well, learn from the snakes, Jesus said. Be sensible and prudent and wise as you head out on a mission. Don't look to provoke the wolves. Um, if you this afternoon called someone a snake... Are they going to take that positively? Generally, not seen as a compliment, is it? It's a phrase that tends to mean in our culture um, a dangerous person, a deceitful person. You snake! Well, that's definitely not what Jesus is calling his disciples to be like. And so Jesus quickly qualifies that they're not only to be shrewd like snakes, but also innocent as doves. We're to be people who are wise but also gentle and blameless. Um, There may be people who want to harm and attack us, but actually we're not to be those who are really a threat to anybody. We're to be straightforward and blameless and uh, not be those who meet anger with vicious uh, replies and threats. No, be wise as a serpent, but innocent as a dove. Now countless times, as you read through the gospel accounts, um, we see Jesus showing this exact shrewdness and deafness as he, uh, as he deals with people who are trying to get him. Like the time when they came and sought to flatter him. You can read it in Matthew chapter 22, uh, where they said to him, Teacher, we, we know that uh, you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. It's all flannel, isn't it? Uh, They don't really think that. And then they say this, You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? A definite trap. They want to get him either to say something that's going to kind of put the crowds against him or to bring the uh, Roman Empire against him. And what does Jesus do? Well, he says, well... um, uh, show me a coin that you use to pay taxes. And they brought him a denarius coin. And he said, well, whose portrait is on it? Whose inscription is on it? And they said, Caesar. He said, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Shrewd, wasn't it? Even his opponents marveled at uh, his wisdom. You see the same with the apostle Paul. And uh, he, he's, uh, he's before a Sanhedrin. Uh, He knows he's about to get stitched up. He he sizes up who's there and he starts this way. He says, my brothers, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. And that was enough to get the Sadducees who were there who don't believe in the resurrection to start fighting with the Pharisees who were there who did believe in the resurrection and they were so busily having a go at each other that Paul was no longer the focus. Shrewd. Be shrewd in an environment hostile to Christian faith, we need to heed the teachings of Jesus of being both innocent as well as shrewd when we speak and act. Uh, This last week, the Reverend Ian Paisley uh, uh, went to meet the Lord Jesus. Uh, He's a controversial figure in lots of ways, but I'll never forget listening to him on a radio program where Nikki Campbell was trying to bait him uh, paisley was never better than when he was speaking on the gospel and uh, nicky campbell was trying to bait him and they said so uh, uh reverend paisley he said are you saying the roman catholics aren't going to go to heaven and paisley came back to him he said nicky i shouldn't do it should i because there's no nice people here <laughs> nicky he said he said i'm telling you there's a lot of protestants who are not going to go to heaven it said, unless you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation, that's the only way that you can be right with God. Very shrewd, wasn't it? Good answer. Well, we need to be shrewd and innocent. Secondly, be on your guard against men, it says. Now, what type of people will oppose disciples of Christ? And the sobering teaching here is this all types of people. Look, he, he says religious leaders, verse 17. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to local councils and flog you in their synagogues. The fiercest opposition for the apostles came from who? Their own Jewish leaders. It was the established religion that uh, caused the persecution. It was they who handed them over. It was they who flogged. Uh, The Apostle Paul maintained a priority in his ministry wherever he went to uh, first seek out his Jewish nation uh, to look for a synagogue. And uh, he would go there, preach the gospel, he would walk in the front door and more often be thrown out the window. Uh, He says that um, in 2 Corinthians that he was flogged with 39 lashes by his fellow Jews on five separate occasions that you would keep going back and the truth is that um, right down through history it is often be the established religion that has links with the state that's been the most fiercest opponents of the Christian faith uh, whether that be in a, in a, in a society where uh, of, of, of extreme militant Hindus or, or Islamic uh, the Christian community has also played its part. when well, it's aligned itself more with the secular state than with biblical faithfulness. It was um, the Catholic Church that, uh, when Martin Luther discovered the gospel, they, they tried desperately to kill him. It was the Catholic Church that massacred the Huguenots in, in huge numbers in France. It was the Anglican Church that persecuted the Puritans. It was the Anglican Church that sought to oppose the ministry of George Whitfield and John Wesley in the 18th century. It's the Episcopal Church in America that is seeking to sue all the churches that are making a stand for uh, biblical orthodoxy on the issue of um, uh, sexual relationships. No, it's as true today that often it's the established church that's linked up with power that most severely can persecute those who are holding to a biblical gospel. And the... Having opposed, they then hand them over to the secular leaders. And so you're going to be, uh, Jesus prepares them. It's not going to just be your, um, your own leaders. It's also going to be the political leaders, verse 18. And this is the text that makes me think that this is a larger horizon than the initial mission. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. And we have to say that actually we've been living in a time of that's quite unusual in history where Christianity has been accepted within our culture. Uh, The Judeo-Christian values have been built into um, many of the facets of the British state, And so we lived in an unusual time of peace. But we're sensing that that's beginning to change, aren't we? The culture's beginning to change. And actually, if if we move towards people being more hostile to Christian faith, as indeed they are beginning to do, then uh, actually that should be no surprise to us. That's been the norm. That's been the regular. But not only is it going to be political leaders, religious leaders, but more painful than than either, either of those, it's going to be family. Verse 21, Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death communities where family is tight when a person becomes a Christian converting from another faith the predominant faith of that culture this can be a source of great shame and dishonor to the family so much so that in some cultures the family would take it upon themselves to kill their own family we've had a taste of that in terms of honor killings within culture in in Britain today haven't we? But it's it's been true down through the history of the Christian church that when people have become Christians, sometimes even their own family have become their fiercest opponents and threatened to take their life. Uh, I I met a woman in the last um, year who became a Christian as a result of reading her Bible in Iran. But she's had to flee for her life from her own family. Uh, They're not even aware that she's got married because they were so opposed to her Christian faith. I know a man who became a Christian from a strict Jewish background and and they they were so upset that he left Judaism that uh, they indicated that he was cut off from the family by holding a funeral for him to say he's as good as dead to us. And that's today. So what types of people will oppose Christian disciples? Well, here's the sobering thing. Verse 22, all types of people all men will hate you, he says. Now, thankfully, that doesn't mean everybody you meet is going to hate you. Praise God. And that's not true because actually some people uh, gladly receive the gospel and become Christians. And thankfully, uh, it's not every single person, but he does prepare us. It is all types of people that, in fact, will be opposed. I suppose deep down, each of us are longing for a day where the Christian faith will be so accepted Um, in Edinburgh and Scotland that actually there'll never be any difficulty never any hardship never any opposition Uh, I suppose we long for a time where um, Christians will be honoured and uh, it'll be seen a good thing the gospel's good for society and that'll be recognised by all but does Jesus really prepare us to see such a thing? I would suggest to you that he doesn't what we long for is not what Jesus sends us out to expect. We've got a wonderful gospel, yes, about a Jesus who has come uh, in love and compassion and sacrifice for sinners to achieve salvation. And yet as we share this gospel, it can be met with indifference, hostility, and opposition. Why is that? we we'll look at what verse 22 says. All men will hate you, Because of what? What does it say? Because of me, Jesus says. Do you know what? It's not directed primarily at us. It's because we're identified with with King Jesus. He who experienced opposition in his life and suffering and death. As we identify with him, we will experience the same suffering, opposition, and yes, perhaps even death on account of the name of Jesus Christ but notice with me that this opposition will not stop the disciples uh, witnessing to Jesus Christ and his gospel it'll actually be the platform that spreads it verse 18 on my account you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. And time and time again, as you read through the book of Acts, this is exactly what happened, isn't it? Uh, the arrests, the prison time, the court cases, were the very forum that brought the gospel of Jesus Christ before the ruling elite of the day. It was Paul's appeal to Caesar that took him all the way to the center of Rome, and uh, there he continued being a witness. The last verse of Acts says this, "...boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ." Uh, Did it hinder the witness of the disciples? Not at all. Actually, amazingly, uh, when they were beaten for speaking for Christ, they, they came out rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were worthy of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amazing. Now, how can that happen? Because, actually, if we're honest, we're thinking, I'm not sure I'd rejoice how did that happen? well Jesus the good shepherd is sending them out like sheep among wolves but he's not sending them out alone the third thing to say is be calm verse 19 Jesus encouraged them not to be fearful and not to worry as they were arrested or put on trial but instead to be calm verse 19 but when they arrest you do not worry about what to say or how to say it at that time you'll be given what to say For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. It's great to have uh, old and new students uh, with us today. Uh, I want to tell you this is not a promise to students that they don't uh, have to revise before they go into the exam room. I'm sorry, Jesus isn't promising that. Um, It's to ministry apprentices and to preachers, this is not a promise that uh, we can enter the pulpit without preparation either. No. But it's a great promise to those who who are engaged in the task of proclaiming the gospel and they're arrested for it on the business of King Jesus, that they should not worry, uh, but that actually they do not go alone. The Good Shepherd has sent them. Um, When you're about the work of uh, King Jesus, then here's a wonderful promise uh, that the Spirit of your Father will help you know what to say and how to say it. Isn't it great? This speaks of the triune God going with us. Uh, Jesus, God the Son, He sends us. And He reminds us, He sends us in, in, the, in the, um, the eyesight, the presence of our loving Heavenly Father. And he is. uh, The promise is that the the Spirit of God will be given, and it was given at Pentecost, given to all believers, and the Spirit is within them. So don't be anxious about what you're going to say or how to say it, because the Holy Spirit's going to use your lips to declare the gospel. It's a beautiful promise, and I suppose we'll not test its faithfulness until we get to that day. But don't be anxious. That's what you see on the day of Pentecost, isn't it? Acts chapter 2. Before that, they're cowering. They're frightened. The Spirit comes. They boldly stand up and proclaim to the very people who put Jesus to death. They say, you crucified him with your wicked hands, but God raised him from the dead. Great courage to speak for Christ. It's exactly what you see when Stephen stands before the Sanhedrin. Um, He stands before them, the ones who had uh, arranged for Christ to be beaten and handed over Uh, to be flogged and crucified. And yet Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, testifies to the glory of Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of their scriptures. So be calm, Jesus says. Uh, I'm with you. Fourthly, be steady and stand firm. Verse 22. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. I guess if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're checking out Christianity, this is a good Sunday to be here because hopefully you'll see that what we're, what we're not saying is this. Come to Jesus and your life's going to be great. Uh, come to Jesus and uh, you know, you're going to have a better relationship with your wife and your children. Uh, your, your business is going to prosper and everyone's going to love you and it's going to be terrific. That, well, some preachers do say that. But they're not teaching what the Lord Jesus is teaching here. And if you're weighing up whether to be a disciple, then you should take very careful heed to what Jesus says here. Why would you sign up for any of this? Have you been thinking that? My goodness, why why did I sign up for this? Why would you sign up for this? Well, it's not because it makes your life more comfortable or easy. It is because it's true. It's true. It's the the great thing that's lost in our culture. The things are ultimately true or false. And this is truth. There is a God who's real and he's the loving creator. And we've all turned away from him so that we are living in a messed up world that's heading for judgment day. And there is a day when all evil will be judged, all wrong and sinful actions punished. There is going to be a day of reckoning. There's going to be a day of reckoning for jihadi John whether in this life or in the life to come. There is a day of reckoning. But for all who put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, that final day of judgment is not one to be feared, for our sins have already been placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and he's been punished in our place. And what awaits us uh, on that judgment day is a warm welcome into God's everlasting kingdom. Uh, where we're in relationship with God, in relationship with all his people, where there's no more sin or sickness or loss. And that's why you become a Christian. And so even if we face hostility from this world, still in rebellion, continue to remain steadfast in trusting Christ, knowing that those who remain steadfast, trusting Christ, will know the eternal joy of salvation. He who stands firm to the end will be saved Uh, this is a note that's right through scripture isn't it yeah it's great that there was a day and a time where you kind of walked down the front or you prayed the prayer but actually it's about persevering in trusting Christ through the rest of your life if he is the only um, lifeboat when you reject the lifeboat there's no hope So keep steadfastly trusting Christ. In the book of James, he says this, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Why would you throw away the Lord Jesus Christ when he's the only hope of salvation, the only way to right relationship with God? And right down to the centuries, people have faced crunch point in their lives and they've been told, uh, reject your Christian faith and uh, we'll leave you alone convert, change and amazingly, down to the centuries, people have weighed up the calculation okay, my life now apart from Christ my life with Christ for all eternity and they've chosen Christ Why should I reject my Lord who's done me nothing but good? I'll hold on to him, whatever the consequences. And so many have chosen martyrdom over rejecting for a quick way out. Now, there are many more encouragements of why we should keep persevering. And uh, you're going to have to come back next week to hear them. I felt there was enough in the text for this week. So there's lots more encouragements coming next week. If you're feeling a bit glum this week, come back next week. Or you can read the passage for yourself. It's all in there, right? But there's one final practical point for sheep being sent out among wolves, and it's there in verse 23. Be ready to flee. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Jesus does not send out his wolves simply to uh, feed the wolves, uh, to make them nice and plump. He sends them... Uh, he's not sending them over the top of the, the trenches for some grand, heroic, futile gesture. Uh, this brings us back to, I think, to the shrewdness of the serpent. It's not a virtue to stand still and simply allow people to butcher you, nor is it cowardice, when faced with great threats, to flee. It was the persecution, remember, in the Jerusalem church that spread them out and caused the gospel to spread because wherever they went, they gossiped the gospel and more became Christians elsewhere. Um, this is what we see the Apostle Paul doing in the book of Acts. He'll go somewhere, he'll preach in cities. Sometimes he caused riots and mayhem and actually when it got to the point where it looked like they were just going to kill him, what did he do? He took off in the middle of the night and went to somewhere else and kick it off again. Preach the gospel. Now a lot of this teaching might sound really strange to us today we've enjoyed hundreds of years of peace in a country that's had these christian values built into it but these are very practical things that are trues for people living in places like afghanistan iraq syria northern nigeria and who knows they might be very practical things for us to consider in years to come or for our children or our grandchildren patrick sugadeo uh wrote this in a recent blog in the year 363 AD, a Christian man by the name of Mattai, fleeing persecution under the Roman Emperor Julian the Apostate, founded the monastery of St Matthew's, lying 20 miles from Mosul in northern Iraq. It became a place of refuge. In 1850, Presbyterian Congregational missionaries entered Mosul, and there they established a mission. In time, the Evangelical Church in Iraq was born, with congregations in northern Iraq situated both in Mosul. And Kirkuk. In 2003, the Christian population in Mosul was estimated at 60,000 people. The Christian population. Today, it is fewer than 200. Made up mostly of the poor, the weak, the sick, and the elderly. And as he wrote that blog, he said this, Last week in a phone call, the pastor of the evangelical church said that he and his entire congregation were preparing to leave. This is a few um, weeks ago now. Another phone call Sir St. Matthew's Monastery reported that its people were doing the same. Well, it's humbling, isn't it? To hear of the courage and boldness that's maintained people through very difficult times, but now they feel it's just time to go. It's time to flee. Now, are we facing circumstances like that? We're not, are we? It's not like that at all. We still have great gospel freedoms here in Edinburgh my question is, are we making the most of it? Are we making the most of these great gospel freedoms today? How will we use our gospel freedoms in this week ahead? Jesus says, behold, I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. Let's pray and ask for his help, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray again for our brothers and sisters who've had to flee for their lives from Mosul and Kukuk. Uh, Father, we ask that you preserve their lives.